What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of Bully Banter. I'm Ben Portnoy. Alongside me, Garrick Hodge. Garrick, it's starting to feel like springtime outside a little bit. You know how they say you learn something new every day? Yes. Well, I have learned today that if my life was on the line and I needed somebody to solve a math problem to bail me out, you would be the absolute last person I call. You know, I I can get behind that, especially uh, (laughs) given my past history in math classes. We had a little uh, change conundrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me explain the situation. So I'm trying to get a little caffeine boost before we go on the pod, of course. And our vending machine in the office only takes um, change. It doesn't take uh, dollar bills. So I'm uh, counting out uh, the change we had. And I have three dimes and a nickel. And Ben's like, oh, so you need 10 more cents, right? And we need 50 cents. And I was like, yes, Ben, yes. I need 10 more cents to make 45 cents. Congratulations. And Ben is very good at math. He will be uh, going to a calculus tour in Rome, I'm sure, and changing the world with his complete arithmetic. Yes, things are going really well this morning. Um, (laughs) Anyway, besides uh, my ridiculousness at uh, trying to calculate change and... uh, Put, put together enough change to get Garrick a Coke before the show. Uh, a lot happening on the hardwood. We'll jump into that uh, right here with the men, and then we'll get to the women a little bit later. But obviously, first off, uh, the Mississippi State men's basketball team coming off a big win at Florida last night, a 78-71 victory over the Gators. Garrick, you were uh, tuned in as I was out on the high school soccer grind. But uh, what were your kind of impressions of the game and takeaways from it? Well, I mean, it was... Uh... I think at the eight-minute mark in the first half, uh, Mississippi State was trailing by 16. And I just, I don't know, I kind of had one of those woof moments, you know. Um, a couple days after uh, losing at the buzzer because they couldn't make a shot on a road at Oklahoma, which would have been a quadrant one win, um, they just come out and, at the time, lay an egg. And Florida could not miss from beyond the arc to start the game. I believe they hit seven of their first 11 three-pointers. And at halftime, they were 8 of 14 from beyond the arc. But the difference was, in the second half, they didn't allow a single three-pointer. And they held them to 0 of 7 um, from three-point range in the second half. So the perimeter defense really shaped up. And offensively, I mean, they just had their way with them. They shot 53% from the floor. They held Florida to... Under 50% shooting, which is crazy considering the Gators shot 58% in the first half. So it was really a tale of two halves, as the old basketball cliche goes. And Reggie Perry really kept them alive in the first half with 17 points and cutting the halftime deficit to 10 points. Um, he had you know 17, as I said, which was a really stark difference from the game in Oklahoma where he had zero points and three fouls in the first half. So big difference there. He ends up with a career-high 27 points. And Robert Woodard had a fantastic game, too, 16 points, and made what could be the play of the game with an offensive rebound after D.J. Stewart missed the friend end of a 1-1 when the Bulldogs were up 5 with 38 seconds left. And that got the ball to Nick Weatherspoon, and he sank two free throws to put them up 7 and to really seal the victory. But it's amazing how one win really changes the complexion of a season. I mean, they lose that game. They're sitting at 3-4 and four in the SEC, 12-8. and eight. Um, not completely out of making the NCAA tournament, but it's just a crazy hill to climb. But they get this win. They move to 4-3 and three in the league after starting 0-3 in SEC play. They're at 13-7. and seven. And they pick up their second Quadrant 1 victory of the season, which I thought was their first, but after a little bit of research, it was their second because Arkansas moved up to 29 in the net rankings, and they obviously beat Arkansas at home. And... A quick rundown of how uh, Quadrant 1 victories work, because I, I put a lot of uh, 
um, confusion into figuring this out yesterday. A quadrant one victory, you know, they break down into quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, and quadrant four. A quadrant one victory is when you beat a team at home that's ranked one through 30th in the net rankings, um, one through 50th on a neutral court, and one through 75 on the road. And Florida was, I think, at 30-something in the net rankings, so obviously that's a quadrant one victory. Um, so big picture, that's great. And Kempom only has... As I said, I know I, I took a pause there because I always bring up Kempom every five seconds in this podcast. But Kempom only has Mississippi State losing two games the rest of the way. Uh, they had them losing at Kentucky and at Arkansas, which are the only two quadrant one victory opportunities remaining for Mississippi State. So if you look at Kempom, as Ben Portnoy is currently doing, what is the projected record? Uh, State's projected at 20-11, and 11-7 in SEC play. Yeah, that puts you right at the NCAA tournament bubble conversation entering the SEC tournament, which about one SEC tournament win, and you're feeling pretty good about making the tournament. Well, and I think you and I talked about it last week on the podcast, is that we, you basically expect if you get 10 wins in the SEC, you're probably in good shape to make the tournament. Um, generally speaking, the SEC is probably, what, a four to five, four to six bid league, uh, depending on the week, depending on the year, uh, there's been the last two years. It's been more than that, uh, but exactly. But generally speaking, like the SEC is probably you know third out of the Power Five conferences, maybe fourth. But uh, you know, this is a conference that if you finish in the top five, you should be in good shape. And state looks like they're going to at this point, especially with the way the uh, the schedule shakes out toward the back end of it. But uh, no, I mean, this is the kind of win that, you know, what we talked about last week and that, you know, State could kind of change its season with the next, whatever it was, four or five games. Uh, and they've done that so far. I mean, they've won four of their last five, four of their last six, really. And the only games that they've lost in that were one-point losses to Oklahoma at, LSU, at Oklahoma and at LSU. So really, you know, one of those wins turns around. I know you can't go back in time, but and stays in pretty much in the driver's seat um, for an NCAA tournament berth. But, you know, right now... I mean, no, let me raise the bar higher on you for a sec. Imagine if Skylar Mays doesn't make that shot and Robert Order does make that shot in Oklahoma. Then they're sitting at... 15 and 5 right now and they're honestly they're probably an AP 25 25 team. 25 team amazing how different two possessions can make a season it's true and those are both quadrant one wins at the same time as well yep so that would be four quadrant one wins but um with that said i mean state's still got some opportunities on the schedule tennessee is a team that it should be able to handle on saturday uh coming up but uh is a game that i think state probably needs and could, could give them uh could give them an added bonus come tournament time. Excuse me. Um, and then headed onto the road against Kentucky. That's uh, that's one that I would say that I don't expect State to win, but you know, you never really know. And the SEC has been every every bit of anarchy that this college basketball season has been. So um, you know, you never know. I mean, Kentucky's been. Uh, I don't know what to say. Kind of inconsistent at best, maybe. Yeah, they're still pretty decent. They're sorting things out, and they have down the stretch. And Calipari generally does with his young teams. But you know, this is a Kentucky team that's proven to be beatable, as has pretty much everyone in the country this year. Um, but you know, for State, you've got two straight games against Tennessee and Kentucky that can kind of add to that NCAA tournament uh, resume. I think there, when we speak of NCAA tournament resumes, there's good news and there's bad news for Mississippi State. The good news right now, as like we said, they don't have an absolutely terrible loss on their resume. Yeah, the Louisiana Tech loss at home and the New Mexico State loss aren't exactly great. 
But they're still ranked within the top 100 on Ken Palm teams. It's not like they lost to a team that's like 250th in the nation or something like that. So they don't have a completely awful loss. The bad news and, uh, sorry, more, more on the good news is that their schedule is very favorable the rest of the way. Very favorable. Which leads me into the bad news is that if they slip up, it, they have almost zero room for error, error when they play teams not named Kentucky, Arkansas, or maybe Alabama. And really, I don't know if they have that much room for room for error against Alabama because Alabama is going to be another team on the bubble that they're competing with to get in. So um, they have the schedule is right in their favor. They kind of yeah they control their own de- tournament destiny still. Um, I don't think they need a whole lot of help if they take care of their own business and win 10 or 11 games in the SEC. But on teams not named Kentucky or Arkansas, you can't afford any. Like, if you lose to A&M or you lose to an Ole Miss or you lose to a Missouri on the road, it makes the tournament road very, very difficult. Well, and when you look at the schedule, too, State's next two weeks really are kind of the determining factor in where this team goes heading into March because I think that, like, it's really your last chance at any kind of quality wins uh, the rest of the schedule until you get to SEC tournament time. And, you know, the next two weeks, State has five games. They play ten at versus Tennessee, at Kentucky, versus Vanderbilt, at Ole Miss, at Arkansas. Gen- if the chalk holds, and that's obviously not a given, especially how this college basketball season has gone on the men's side, uh, you know, you probably expect State to beat Tennessee, beat Vanderbilt, and beat Ole Miss, but and lose at Kentucky, lose at Arkansas. But even at that point, like if you can sneak out a win against a Kentucky, against an Arkansas, I mean, those are games that really... Yeah, it gives you more room for error. For it, sure. Exactly. I mean, if you can... It's kind of what we said about the Arkansas game at home, whatever that was a week ago. Uh, with a win like that, first of all, it changes the outlook of the season, but it also gives you sort of a game in hand almost uh, that you can, I don't want to say State can afford to slip up, but it gives you a, a, a gimme game. If there's a gimme game that you maybe slip up in, you kind of, you're okay with it because you've got that Arkansas win in your back pocket. If the season ended today, I think they would either be one of the last four in or one of the first four out. I, uh, I'm not positive which one, but it's pretty close. They were, they have moved up to 41 in the net rankings, and uh, they were 48 entering the Florida game, and Ben Howland said on Monday that he wants the team to be right around in the 30s, and that's where they feel pretty safe, if they're in the 30s. Um, So, you know, they're obviously going to keep climbing if they string together more wins, and if they don't get blown out on the road to Arkansas and Kentucky, because I think they moved up four spots after they lost to Oklahoma on the road by one point. But, um, you know, it's... uh, it's going to be a pretty interesting finish for men's basketball. Definitely. And kind of on that front, I guess jumping into the more specifics of the players, something that I think has come up more recently and especially over the last two weeks uh, is Reggie Perry and how well he's playing. And I know we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast, but to, I'm going to I'm gonna throw a question at you. I mean, do you think Reggie Perry is an All-American right now? I think so. I mean, I think he would be, and this is a non-Homer-esque take, by the way, because I... Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, which if you haven't, go listen to it. But if you listen to the last podcast, I uh, pulled up uh, Ken Palm's live in season top five players in the SEC, and numero uno was Reggie Perry. 
and he did have a uh, less than stellar performance against Oklahoma, but it was especially because he only played 21 minutes because of the foul trouble. But he redeemed himself with a career-high 27 points against Florida, and in SEC play, he's averaging a double-double. And I think he's a, is he still averaging a double-double on the season? He was really close. Yeah, he's 16.9 points and 10 rebounds a game. Okay, yep. I, I thought that was... He's the only player in the SEC averaging a double-double if stats are still correct. But no, he, he'd be my vote for SEC Player of the Year right now, and I think the, the SEC Player of the Year is most certainly an All-American. Yeah, cool. No, I agree. I mean, I think when you look at it, just the last, I know he obviously didn't play as well as he usually does against Oklahoma, but, you know, at least 22 points in four of his last five games. You know, we talked about that run uh, of three straight with 23, 22, and 26 against LSU, Missouri, and Georgia, but... Uh, or excuse me, Missouri, Georgia, and Arkansas. But uh, to come out the way that he did against Florida last night was really impressive. Twenty-seven and eight. I think that's career high, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. For twenty-seven, yes. yes. As Tw- I've said twice on this podcast. But. Yes, career high, twenty-seven points. So now, if I needed someone to listen to every word I say and repeat it back to me and do a math problem to save my life, the last person I'd be calling is Ben Portman. <laughs> twenty-seven points, career high. Just to reiterate. Uh, but no, I mean Reggie Perry's playing as well as anyone in the country right now, and he had you know twenty six and twenty twenty six points against Kent State, twenty one against Auburn, and fourteen and thirteen against Alabama and LSU. So the, also the reality, season high thirty seven minutes last night. Yeah, I mean that's, that's a lot of work for a power forward. Well, and that's the thing that I think gets lost in it. Some of it is that you know we talk about how big and bruising a body that Reggie Perry is, and um, you know we always talk about what kind of athlete that Robert Woodard is, but I, I think that Reggie gets a little bit underrated athletically. I know he's not going to jump out of the gym quite the same way that a Wood, Robert Woodard is, and I, and I get that, and he's not quite, you know, the perimeter defender that DJ Stewart is, but I think that, like, when you see... The way that he runs the floor is really impressive. I think it was a game against... I want to say it was Louisiana Tech, but I'm not 100% sure. It was earlier this season, and... There was a play where Reggie caught the ball in the open court, dribbled it through the midcourt, and threw like a one-handed bounce pass to someone in transition. I think it was DJ Stewart for a layup, um, sort of a rounded defender. And, you know, for a guy who's 6'10", what, I think he's listed at 270 pounds, 250 pounds, uh, the way that he's able to run in the open floor is really something to, something to see and something to behold. There's the word I was looking for. Uh and when he goes out and plays thirty, you know, thirty-seven minutes in a game that was as tightly contested as it was against Florida, you know, he they state needed him in every minute of the every minute last night. So, um, with him to be able to stay out of foul trouble, you know, put up the points he put up um, it is really impressive. And I think that's something that gets kind of lost in the equation with Reggie Perry every now and then. Speaking of Robert Woodard, that man did work on the defensive end yesterday. There is one possession. I'll show it to you after we uh, get done on the pod. That. He switched on four different Florida players, and the possession ended with him contesting a layup at the basket and him collecting the rebound. Uh, it was pretty incredible to see. That's uh, probably going to be on the uh, the NBA draft scouts forefront in mind. Even though you know fans are going to remember him for the thunderous dunks and the big three point shots that he's made this year, but no. The, his switches, switching on the defensive end yesterday, he provided a huge spark. And I think, like, beyond the fact that 
of how good a defender Robert Woodard is. I think that you've seen the uptick in scoring as well and what that brings to this team. I mean, in games against Georgia, Oklahoma, and Florida, he had 17, 15, and 16 points. I mean, when Robert Woodard is scoring 15 points or more, states do it. Like, that changes the complexion of this team. And, you know, Ben Howland's talked at length this year about how he wants Woodard hunting more shots and looking to be a little more aggressive on the offensive end. And, you know, we talk about the highlight dunks all the time, and that's one thing. The reality is he's a, I think he's a better jump shooter than people realize. I think he's shooting, what, close to 30, 35% uh, from three-point range on uh, on the season. Uh, 38.9%. Uh, according to hillstate.com. So, you know, this is a guy who can shoot the three ball well. He's got a pretty solid, he's got a really nice mid-range game, can get to the hoop, can beat you off the bounce. I mean, Robert Woodard's a dynamic offensive threat, and I think that, you know, teams get so concerned with Reggie Perry, who, frankly, even if they are concerned, it hasn't mattered because he's still putting up points. But, you know, when you get that complimentary scoring, when you get, you know, 13 to 15 from Robert Woodard, when you get 12 to 15 from Tyson Carter, when you get around 10 from DJ Stewart, that's when this team looks like an NCAA tournament team. And I think that's what's been the difference over the last few weeks is that you've seen this offense kind of come together. The defense has generally been there for most of the season. It's gone in and out in spurts, and I get that. But the reality is that this is a team that has struggled offensively and hasn't necessarily found an identity, and I think you're seeing it a little bit more now. Robert's also shooting 50% from the floor. I guess he needs to shoot more. Um, DJ Stewart has also shown like he's going to be a tremendous player. The strides that he's made since being in the starting role, I think it's been five games now have been pretty tremendous from his first three games to his last two. Um, but, yeah, no, it's uh, – I think uh, Tennessee, they host uh, Saturday at 1 o'clock. Um, Tennessee is coming off a horrific home loss to Texas A&M, which I'm going to give Buzz Williams a little bit of credit here. I picked uh, Texas A&M 13th in the SEC poll, and they already have about as many SEC wins as I thought they would have with four. So um, credit to first-year coach Buzz Williams. I think he's going to make that program pretty competitive in about two to three years. Yeah, I agree. And that's not a good loss for Tennessee, but it's still a team that I, I think is dangerous and is obviously dealing with some injury, a number of injuries. But it's a game that I think State can kind of pad that resume a little bit with if they can get the win. Uh, it's I I hate the term must win because, uh, you know, it's it's dumb. But... Um, it's a must-win game for Mississippi State Saturday, and I think they should win, especially with the injuries that Tennessee has had to deal with. And um, But then again, the Volunteers' backs are against the wall, too, and they're entering a very tough stretch of their own. So um, we'll, we'll have to see how this Jekyll and Hyde type of season continues for Mississippi State down the stretch. Absolutely. And uh, now that we've covered kind of the men, let's jump over to the women for a minute. Obviously, the women coming off a big... Uh, 80 to 39 win over Ole Miss. Uh, pretty much destroyed the Rebels, ran them off the floor. Whatever iteration of that you want to use, it was an absolute bloodbath. Uh, I almost felt uncomfortable watching it. I, I mean, look, I get that Ole Miss and Coachio are building building something and trying toward working some working towards something in her. What is this? Her third year, second year, I believe. Second year. Second year, but I. I feel fairly confident saying there are some teams that state played in the non-conference that looked better than Ole Miss. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, Ole Miss might not win a conference game. <laughs> they might not win a game the rest of the year. I mean, they they have a, maybe two options that they can beat, but um, no, it's um, yeah. Here's the thing about the woman. I'm kind of trailing off into a thought here. Um, it's pretty incredible that uh, the consensus is that they're having a quote unquote down year and they're eighteen and three right now. Mm-hmm. Like 
10 years ago, could you imagine that uh, Mississippi State would be, eh, yeah, they're, they're doing all right in the women's basketball program, about an 18-3 season and not jumping for joy, and that's just the kind of program that Vic Schaefer has built. Um, like, you know, we're, we're all sitting here on the podcast giving Ben Howland credit for the, you know, keeping the season alive with the 13-7 and seven season, which, of course, comparing the two teams is apples and oranges, so we're not going to do it on this podcast, but... Um, it is pretty incredible that they're 18 and three, and they only have one conference loss, and yet this is considered, uh, you know, maybe maybe going to be a down year for Mississippi State. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that's worth noting is just like, you know, it, it, I think that's something that you've seen with this team, and I don't want to call it a down year because I don't necessarily think that's, you know, that's a little bit cliche, but I think this is a year that you're seeing a lot of growth from this young roster. I mean, coming into it, you know, everyone expected this to be a year for State to, whether it was take a downturn or, or you know, you, you expected them they were going to lose a couple of games that maybe they shouldn't lose. Um, I think West Virginia was one of those. That was the first non-conference home game that State had lost in, I think it was five years, give or take, maybe seven. Um, so when you look at it, there's games like that that stick out. But the reality is when State's been challenged against the nation's elite, South Carolina, Stanford, They've come out and played. I mean, yes, I know Stanford had some injuries when they played in Canada, but still State only lost by five. Um, South Carolina we've talked about a hundred times, but that was a game that really uh, stood out to me and that I think the team showed that this is a this is a top ten team, um, even if they don't have the experience. I mean, the talent is there. Um, and when you've seen in games against Vanderbilt and games against Ole Miss, I know you can't necessarily glean that much from games like that because both teams are kind of toward the bottom of the SEC, although Vanderbilt's been a little bit better. is more toward the middle of the pack this year. Um, <coughs> excuse me. You know, you've seen that you've seen a lot of growth in sort of those young pieces. Olya Matharu, Jemiah Mingo Young, Zaria Wiggins, those are the three that come to mind. You know, I wrote about this the other day and that, you know, those are pieces that have sort of found their roles in the rotation. Um, there are other pieces that are still being worked out, and there's no sort of set rotation at this point, um, as Vic Schaefer <laughs> made note of in the post game after the Ole Miss game. But um, this is a team that's finding the pieces down the stretch. And I don't want to say it's peaking at the right time because there's still a lot of season left. And State's got a pretty tough February slate. Um, Going to have three straight games against ranked opponents in Tennessee, Texas A&M, Kentucky uh, over a 10-day stretch. So there's that. But the point is that this is a team that's finding its footing. They've started to find some con- consistency, um, at least in the, sort of uh, – you know, Vanderbilt wasn't a great showing, and it took them till the end of the fourth quarter to pull away. But this is a team that's found the pieces, I think, and it is starting to find the pieces that it can win with. Um, Vic Schaefer's finding that rotation, finding the sort of the issues within it, um, and, and getting rid of those. And I think this is a team that, uh, you know, is, you know, angling toward a peak at the right time, I guess is the best way to say it. Well, they've got two... Uh... The coaches would be mad if I said it, but I'm going to say it anyway. They got two breathers before the tough slate starts. They got, they're got they hosting Auburn tomorrow, or today, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. We're recording this on a Wednesday. They host them on Thursday um, against Auburn. I expect that to be very similar to the Ole Miss game. And then they play Georgia, which um, Georgia was a pretty competitive game on the road. I expect it will not be a competitive game at the hump. And then comes the three-game stretch that everyone's warned the, the Bulldogs about at Tennessee, home against A&M, and on the road at Kentucky. As you said, three ranked opponents. And then they get two more breathers at Auburn, 
home against Alabama, and then against a ranked Arkansas team. So there's four losable games left on the schedule. Obviously, they won't lose all four. I'm not even sure if they'll lose one of them. They could, but I'm not sure if they will. Um, so when you think of it that way, um, I, I'm going to turn to my math expert, Ben Ben Portnoy over here, <laughs> and go, what? So that record would put them at what entering the NCAA tournament? I, I should clarify. What record do you foresee entering this stretch, them entering the SEC tournament with? Well, there's nine games left. They're sitting at 18-3, and three, so if they went out 27-3, and three, if I do that math right. Um, I think that the big toss-up for me is the Texas A&M game. It depends whether Kennedy Carter's healthy. Um, that's a Texas A&M team that, frankly, has a completely different outlook when she's healthy. Um, if she's not, I think State wins that game big. Um, I think at Kentucky and at Tennessee can get tricky. I'm going to say State loses one of those games. Um, at least I think they probably beat Arkansas at home. So I'm going to say that State goes goes into SEC goes into the SEC tournament at 28 and four, probably the second best team in the SEC behind South Carolina. Wow, I I can't disagree. The only games that State could possibly lose on this schedule are Tennessee, A and M, Kentucky, and Arkansas. And you get A and M and Arkansas at home, the two trickiest games I think out of those. And like I said, the A and M game is a toss up. Um, if Kennedy Carter plays, but I, if she's not healthy, State probably wins that game by double digits. You know, if you can go and beat Kentucky and beat Tennessee, you're probably in in a position where you can win the rest of your games. I'm going to be a little bit more cautious and say 27 and five, which still very good. Um, so my bracketology expert over here, what does 27 and five put you seed wise in the women's NCAA tournament? Um, I think State's probably going to end up as a three seed. Um, they're probably going to hover somewhere between eight and twelve in the country. Um, you know, if they do go out and win, win out, I think they can play themselves up to a two. They won't play themselves up to a one just because there's too much uh, parity up at the top in the top sort of seven teams. But I, I think that State can play themselves up to a two. Uh, more likely, they probably sit at a three. I'd be. I would say it would be a surprise if they dropped to a four just because I think that would take them losing more than, you know, two or three games. I think that would cause them – they would have lost two or three games if that happens. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Bracketology expert Ben Portnoy. Math acclaimed expert as well. Call, call me Joe Lenardi or something. I don't know. I'm, yeah, we're I'm not coming. doing that. <laughs> Worth a shot. But, no, I mean, the women's team is coming down the stretch and looks to be in the safe spot for pretty much a three, a two or a three seed. Um a three four seed at the worst probably a three so this is a team that's like i said peaking at the right time got a game against auburn on thursday another one again monday against georgia and then hitting that hard slate against tennessee texas and kentucky and we'll get into that next on next week's podcast but uh garrick that's pretty much all i've got you got anything else i don't think so all good cool well thank you all again for listening and uh as always we'll catch you next week